about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utter, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to the study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. Hi, I'm Gabby, and the second reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verses 2 to 8. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. One, two, excellent. 
Hello, live streamers, and welcome to those in the building. My name's Mike, I'm one of the pastors here. And as excited as I usually am to get up and preach, you might have been thinking, uh, as we read from Ecclesiastes, well, this should be uplifting, sarcastically. Um, But I actually hope that it will be, but in a strange kind of uplifting way. Not in the usual kind of just kind of, you know, psych ourselves up, but actually press into some of the challenges of this year and what's happening in our hearts and in this world, and that we might come to know Christ more and more. This is a series for this moment, of having felt, of having this feeling of being disoriented, uh, fearing death, evil, chance, time. This is a series for our generation, for the people who want to make their mark on the world but can't or won't, for the beautiful snowflakes out there who think that they are special and unique and are feeling oppressed, (laughs) but also for those that are feeling real oppression, that things are not going well in this world and are starting to lose hope. And maybe for those who are scared to look underneath what is driving them in the fear of the emptiness that lurks within. This is a series that will make us feel uncomfortable at points, at many points, and it will show us very starkly all the things we are trying to avoid. Welcome to the series on finding meaning. It's an Old Testament book, it's an ancient book, and yet these words are timeless. For surely in 2020, as we read Ecclesiastes, it makes us feel uncomfortable, but it also kind of rings true in a strange new way. Maybe we're a little bit uncomfortable with the pessimism As we've read this from scriptures, we're used to kind of having the Bible hold out promises and hope, and this is confronting. So we're going to need to wrestle with a few things as we start this series. We're going to need to know a bit more about who this teacher is and and why he's so pessimistic. We're going to need to know how to listen to him. We're going to need each other's help as well, because for some of us, this is going to trigger stuff that we're trying hard to not think about. It's going to show us things that we don't want any more attention drawn to. And so this will be the beginning of a conversation, and I really hope it's a conversation, so that you're not left alone in that triggered state, but in the kind of community of believers. We might come to understand God's word together, and that we might look to Christ together. We're also going to have a bit of Q&A at the end of tonight as a way of starting that conversation. So let's tread sensitively, care deeply, and look longingly to Christ And so as we start, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to dig into this chapter as an introduction to the whole series. Let me pray. Father, speak into our weary and troubled hearts and souls tonight. You know what lurks in there, you know what we're hiding, and you know what hurts us. So Father, lift us up, show us more of yourself, and speak tenderly to us tonight, we pray. Amen. All right, there's four headings that I want to hang our journey on tonight. Uh, The first one is the teacher. We want to understand who this guy is, what his deal is, and how we should listen to him. Uh, Secondly, we want to look at the endeavor, like what's this project he sets up that he so quickly concludes meaningless, meaningless. Three, I want to press into the dissatisfaction. How do we swallow this bitter pill? And four, we need a way up. We're going to dig a hole tonight, and we need to find a way out of that. 
Number one, the teacher. Um, Kel, my wife, doesn't like this picture. It comes from the Bible Project's video on Ecclesiastes. She's like, he's so creepy. I don't know how you think of the teacher as you read Ecclesiastes, but he's certainly this kind of, I don't know how to describe him. He's kind of, he's been around the block a few times. (laughs) And if you watch the video, he actually blows smoke in Proverbs' face. And I feel like that's actually sort of how the tension plays out. But anyway, the teacher, as we read in Ecclesiastes, uh, is a king. Verse 1, he is a king of Jerusalem. He's at the top of the pecking order. And in his great resources of wealth and intellect, and from that vantage point, he looks out over the world and sees things under the heavens. He is disillusioned. It's like he he knows the promises of God, he knows the hope that's out there, but as he looks at the world, he is just sad. And you see that sadness, that pessimism flow through Ecclesiastes. Maybe he's Solomon, we're not sure. Unlike Proverbs, which makes Solomon's name quite clear, we don't see that in Ecclesiastes. He might be a son of David, following David. Nonetheless, he's a king in God's, amongst God's people, uh, and he is worth listening to. Because from his perspective, he makes observations that we find hard to categorically ignore. As much as oh, I'm an optimist, and as much as I just want to kind of flip over Ecclesiastes and find a happier passage... There are things here that we need to pay attention to, especially in 2020. Why should we listen to him? Because I think he's got something to say about our world that we need to hear. But we're invited to listen to him through the person who introduces Ecclesiastes. There's two voices going on here. Verse 1 is not written by the king, the teacher. It's written by the person who frames Ecclesiastes. And that framer has the final say at the end, at the end of chapter 12. Because the teacher, well, there's more to hear than what the teacher has to say. We'll come back to that in a little bit. What's the endeavor? What's the project that this king establishes? Verse 13, I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. This is a project in exploring wisdom, in how to live in a world that is messy. And when I think of wisdom, I think of the tension between how the world is and how the world should be. How the world is and how the world should be. And philosophers have vexed for a long time uh, about the relationship and tension between those two. Hume, a philosopher from way back, uh, not quite as way back as here, but said you can't draw an ought from an is. So there's observations about the world. We can see that. That's the land of Ecclesiastes. And yet we're deeply dissatisfied with that being the whole story because we know what things should be, at least better than they are. So we need some kind of moral framework. We need some kind of vision, some kind of hope. We're just not sure how to anchor that. Wisdom is being able to tread in the tension between how the world is and how you long for it to be, how it should be. And between that those two, in that tension, that guides a path forwards. I mean, one way to think of this is perhaps if Ecclesiastes is is in the realm of the is, Proverbs is kind of in the land of the should be. And so you read in Proverbs, if you work hard, you'll be rewarded. You read in Ecclesiastes, if you work hard, 
you're probably not going to see the fruits of your labors. It'll go to the generation after you. Or, or time and chance will take it away from you. How might we live in wisdom, in understanding how the world is and not be naive about it, and yet also holding tension with the way the world should be, could be? We need hope. We need purpose. We need wisdom. And so let's listen to Ecclesiastes and not be naive about how this world is, that we might be able to move forward in courage. And yet, we read verse 2, the conclusion of the whole project. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. It's not a great start. Why do we keep reading? Well, at least out of curiosity. But the conclusion is stark and it's upfront. What does he mean by meaningless? The picture kind of carries it well. The word behind this is hevel. Uh, the Hebrew meaning may be kind of explained well actually from verse 13. A chasing, or 14, a chasing after the wind. When you try and grab vapor, another word for hevel, it, it kind of, it just, it, 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 it slips through your hand. You cannot grab it. You cannot chase after the wind. There is a futility, another word for hevel, a vanity. So it's not that there is no meaning. There is just it's not clear what it is. And every time you try and grab it, it slips away. That's the conclusion of the whole project up front. And that's not something that lifts us up, is it? It might be the conclusion, but it doesn't encourage us. It disorients us. How does he arrive at that conclusion? Well, the whole rest of the book is all about why pursuing good in this world is meaningless, is futile. And every week we're going to look at a different aspect of life under the heavens as we go through Ecclesiastes and see his case outlined. There will be some up bits, I promise. But in this chapter, why does he think everything is meaningless? Well, it seems to be all about the kind of the, the cycle of things and just how the world keeps on spinning with or without you. Verse 4, halfway through. The earth remains forever. The sun rises and sets. It is completely unaware of how many Facebook friends you have. Whether you have a job, lost your job. I kind of think a little bit of Richard Dawkins, who describes the universe as having blind, pitiless fate and how we're subject to that. Verse 6, the wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. I think of the tides of mess in my house. I've got three boys and a dog. My wife would say four boys and a dog. And our house is just constantly chaos. And you kind of sweep the mess and the tides of mess come back in. <laughs> and you say, why do I bother? All things are wearisome, the teacher says. Most people know me as somewhat of an energizer bunny, yet every now and again, I just find it hard to muster the motivation to go another round in the ring. Whether the camera fails, or we record something and the audio doesn't work, or whether you've been investing in someone only for them to throw it back in your face. I'm speaking to more and more people who are feeling weary. And when you ask how your week's been, or what's happening in the next week, you just get this, <laughs> another day, another Monday. The eye 
never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. Many of us are bucket list people. Bucket lists are fun. A lot of things in our bucket lists are now closed for business. (laughs) That's sad. But when we are chasing down bucket lists, uh, is there not this feeling that, yes, you get to go to Thailand, yes, that is awesome, and then you get home and how quickly that experience becomes a memory. And what have you got to do? You've got to put another thing on your bucket list to chase down because your bucket leaks. Your eye never has enough of seeing. There is nothing that's going to quench the search inside us, this longing within. Look, something new, the teacher says, quoting sarcastically anybody, really. I got a new iPhone. That's new. Oh, they just released a new one. (laughs) That feeling of being on the treadmill, that's not new. And for those that are maybe getting a little bit older, not many of you in the room perhaps, and have started using the word legacy, Verse 11, no one remembers the former generations. And even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Wow. It is depressing and confronting. But perhaps what I find most confronting is verse 15. Because I naturally have this feel that, yep, I'm small, yep, I'm insignificant, but if we just rally together... We all do a little bit of good. We might make a whole lot of good. and We might actually address some of the deep injustices of this world. And then verse 15, what is crooked cannot be straightened. There is a real brokenness in this world that we cannot fix. And that sucks. How are you feeling about that? You might be thinking... This old, ancient teacher, what would he know? (laughs) Well, take it from this guy. This is Tyler Durden from Fight Club, which is a little bit old now, uh, but it was described as the movie of a generation. But I use it also because it's also, apparently, the origin of the meme Snowflake. This quote here, Tyler Durden, Brad Pitt. You are not a beautiful or unique snowflake. Snap. You are the same decaying organic matter as everything else. We are all part of the same compost heap. Nice. We are an entire generation pumping gas, waiting tables, slaves with white collars. Advertising has us chasing cars and clothes, working jobs we hate so we can buy stuff we don't need. We're the middle children of history, man. No purpose or place. We've all been raised on television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars, and we won't, and we're slowly learning the fact, and we're very, very upset. He is the Koheleth, the teacher of the modern era, is he not? He's ringing the same bell. We all have this inner desire to be an influencer, be significant. And some of us are realizing that we're not. And that hurts. Well, what's Fight Club's answer? Embrace anarchy, punch each other in the face so you feel alive again. It's not for everyone. So where shall we go? What about the other extreme? Is this the answer? Is this going to give us joy and meaning? 
She'd like to think she looks happy. But this just feels like when you, when you face the stark, real observations of the Ecclesiastes teacher, this just doesn't cut it. This feels like a glittery band-aid over an empty, broken heart. Not to mention, it's kind of ironic, that the beginning of Fight Club, if you haven't seen it, and it's not for everyone, but the beginning of Fight Club is about a guy who, who has a beautiful condo, and he's making his life all minimal and kind of cool, and he's almost finished his Ikea collection of furniture, and then his unit blows up. Hevel. Meaningless. We are all subject to the futility of this world. What are we going to do about that? Meaningless might be an answer. It is the great leveler that we're all subject to the futility and vanity of this world, and yet it is deeply, deeply dissatisfying. For as Ecclesiastes will later say, we all have eternity written on our hearts. And so we can't swallow this bitter pill all the way down as the final solution, but yet we can't escape it. And so I'm not rushing to kind of my favorite proof text of the New Testament just to make us all feel better. Ecclesiastes has something to say about the nature of this world and we need to face it head on if 2020 isn't already slapping us around. Now it is true that Ecclesiastes doesn't have the full story. If you could think of the whole biblical story as kind of as a story and a dramatic one of that, a good one, you know that in good stories, just before the climax, that is the darkest point. That's the point where the main character looks like they're about to die. It looks perilous. And that's where Ecclesiastes is written. It's that moment where, where hope looks distant. The main character doesn't look like he's going to come through with the goods. And the teacher from Ecclesiastes draws his conclusions from that point. And friends, there are moments in 2020, if not now for you, where that might be your reality. You know God or know of him, perhaps, if you're searching. But he doesn't look good right now because everything is a complete mess. Ecclesiastes forces us to face that and not just skimp over it. But we do get to keep listening to the story because Ecclesiastes is just part of the story. And so we do get to Jesus. We just have to recognize the gaping chasm between how the world is and how the world ought to be, should be. It's just that hope can be crushing. Did you see how the, the teacher writes about with much wisdom comes much sorrow? The more hope you have, the heavier the burden. How might we cross this chasm? The way up from this point. I find helpfully goes through Psalm 8. Psalm 8 also considers the magnitude of the world and its glory and makes us feel really small, as does Ecclesiastes 1. But this is how the psalmist puts it. When I consider your heavens, God, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, and the Ecclesiastes teacher would say, and it keeps turning regardless of me. But that's not what the psalmist says. The psalmist says, What is mankind that you are mindful of them, 
human beings, that you care for them. The psalmist is able to say, look at how awesome the glories of heaven and creation are. And I know I am small. So why would you care for me, O great one? Yet I know that you do. How much does God care for me? This much. In the open arms of the crucified Lord. When you want to know how much God cares for you, He cares to the value of Christ's blood shed for you. That you might be bought at a price. That you might be considered His own a son, a daughter of the living God. That despite your insignificance, your meaninglessness, your smallness, your frailty, your brokenness, your sinfulness, he would care for you and lift you up. See, meaning is given to us as a gift. Every time you try and seize meaning from this world and define yourself in it, it will be like like vapor. And it will slip through your fingers. And it will crush you. And you'll know that every time you put your hope in something and used your strength and it hasn't come out well, you will be crushed. Finding meaning in this world is futility. But meaning and purpose and love and forgiveness is available to you if you would receive it. For us, the way up is down to actually embrace our brokenness, our smallness, and allow God to give us meaning. And that's why we read from that second passage when Paul is speaking in uh, 1 Corinthians, he is rallying against the wisdom of this world, which looks at the cross and says, That is foolish. And he says, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. But he came with the power of the spirit within him. The power of the mystery of God revealed. The way up is to embrace our brokenness. To to take up the heavy burdens we are carrying and hold them out to the one who will receive our heavy burdens, whose yoke is light, who will nail it to the cross. The way up is down as we're on our knees, humbly repenting, saying sorry for the ways we have offended God and letting him lift us up that it might not be in our own strength. Because the only way to ultimately connect the way the world is and and should be is in the cross. There is no way to straighten out the crookedness of this world apart from the power of Christ crucified and resurrected. So it makes sense that the Ecclesiastes teacher wasn't able to say anything more optimistically about a broken world because he couldn't cross the chasm. No sparkly, glittery band-aid of cleanliness was going to cross it. No hopes and dreams was going to cross that chasm. Only the cross of Christ. And when we know that, we can read Ecclesiastes in a profound way. When we embrace our smallness, our brokenness, our sinfulness, we can read this and say, 
as I have this week. I repent of the ways that I think I am important. I am not a snowflake in my own strength. I can read Hevel, and when things go bad, I can say Hevel, but not in a fatalistic sigh, but in a, it was never in my strength anyway. It was always in the power of Christ. As I've turned to people this week, there is story after story of people trying to make good in the tough times and having the ground fall out from underneath them. And in those moments, you get to say, Hevel, it slipped out from my grasp. And yet we also can say, your grace is sufficient. That verse has always bugged me. It's so easy to say. And yet it's in 2020, as we read Ecclesiastes, and as the ground keeps falling out from underneath us, that we find the courage to actually depend on God in radical new ways. Your grace is sufficient. Because time and time again, things will keep slipping out of our hands. And we've got to say, it was never in my strength anyway. The only thing that reconciles how the world is and ought to be is the cross of Christ. The only thing that reconciles the meaninglessness of this world and God's promises and hope is the cross. The only thing that reconciles God's goodness and the crookedness of this world is the cross. And the only thing that reconciles us in our sinfulness to our Father who loves us is the cross. His grace is enough. I count everything else a loss. As I've been chatting to people this week, I've said, I keep finding myself saying, as I have for this, like, this whole season of COVID, this little mantra, that God's glory shines the brightest in the darkest times. That's the cross and the resurrection. And every time the ground falls out from underneath you, would you lean into that promise? Would you take up that kind of that burden of patience as you trust that God is good and let his power work in you? Because it's not in your strength. You can't pull yourself up by your socks here. The teacher of Ecclesiastes does not have the final say. Not in Ecclesiastes even and not in Scripture. For Ecclesiastes will finish with, fear God and obey his commandments. And the New Testament will say, trust Jesus and follow him. Because it is only in Jesus that we will find a way out of this mess that will be lifted up and given meaning in a meaningless world. Let me pray. Father, you know what's, what's troubling us tonight. Father, would you fill us with your spirit now? that you would give us a fresh sense of the meaning you have given us, the purpose, the forgiveness, the new life we have. And so, Father, if there's anyone here tonight who has not yet trusted Jesus, would you help them to take a step of faith, to find meaning in this world? For anyone here tonight who is really struggling with the brokenness of this world, Father, would you give them courage and strength and lift them up? And would you help us, Father, as a people to support each other, lift each other up, 
and together to keep trusting Jesus and to lift his name above all things, we pray. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.